to the Word and Story podcast for the week of February 2nd. The text uh, this week, the gospel text, is from the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 1 to 12. We'll read that text from the New Revised Standard, and then we'll begin to talk about it. I hope uh, your week has been well, your preparation has been well, and I hope these ideas may spark a little something to add to your your texts for the week. Here we go. When Matthew, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to speak, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when you went when you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So we have the we have the launch of the Beatitudes, this, this section of, of Matthew um, 5, 6, and 7. Last week, from, from our, in, in context, last week we, we talked about um, the workers for the kingdom, that Jesus called out his workers, um, and he was in a specific area. Uh, and that was still fascinates me. How Jesus started in it in the the most Gentile influenced area of Israel, and so Jesus um, essentially called his workers. We we know of the, Matthew at this point has only recorded four for us: James, John, Peter, and Andrew. And so we come to this text, and Jesus goes up. On the mountain, he sees the crowds, and Jesus goes up on the mountain. And many feel that Matthew, actually, in this, recalls the mosaic journey to Sinai. And if that's the case, then Jesus's superior revelation also makes him superior to those who taught the revelation to Moses. So this is a. And I think they're right. This is a to me. This is a mosaic act. This is Jesus going up, and it's it's not him teaching a new law. It is him expressing the fullness of the mosaic law, which obviously was you may recall was broken up into the relationship with God, relationship with with others. Jesus presents this in that way, and he, and he, even, even the way he, um, even the way he, he presents Jesus presents himself in this text um, is is pretty striking. Um, the the teachers culturally, the teachers in that day, they normally stood to read, and they sat to teach, and Jesus actually follows the same pattern. 
and he begins uh, with the Beatitudes, and that actually may ref- reflect a, a broad Greco-Roman practice of using a preface to kind of warm up the crowd. The context, however, or the content is actually incredibly Jewish. And then one scholar says that says says this, and I think it's so true and so fascinating. The stated audience invites the attention of Matthew's audience. The stated audience invites the attention of Matthew's audience. Who was? Who is the stated audience? The stated audience was the disciples and the crowds. Matthew's audience was the hearers or the readers of his text. And the crowds following Jesus function as at least as potential disciples. So all those crowds that are following Jesus here in Matthew 5 are at least potential disciples. And Jesus specifically taught his disciples, but the crowds were present, implying he wanted them to hear because he wanted them to consider what life in the kingdom is like. And he essentially turns kingdom living upside down. What, what was thought to be what a good Jew or a good member of God's people, the way they acted, the, the things that they came across in their life, the the cultural definition of good and successful, Jesus wanted them to understand that he's going to turn that upside down. And so this, these texts, verses three to twelve, actually have um, two main two main ideas that that flow through them. One is the the reward of being in the kingdom, and the other is. Um, the prerequisites for the kingdom. And so when we when we get to this text, um, the blessings of the beatitude are for a people ready for God's coming or for the kingdom's coming. In between verses 3 and verse 10, uh, in verses 3 and verse 10, you have this uh uh, phrase for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It forms an inclusio, which means it frames the the entire um, context content of this um, uh, of verses three to ten as being what they get for for being part of the kingdom. All the blessings that are listed are blessings of the kingdom time. God would comfort his people at the final resurrection of Israel. 
Jesus probably refers to Isaiah 61 2 that refers to the time when God will comfort all who mourn in Zion. He will satisfy the hunger and thirst of his people. That is throughout Matthew, Isaiah, Revelation. He'll satisfy the hunger and thirst of his people as in the first exodus. The ultimate mercy of the God whose character is mercy would be revealed on the day of judgment. And at that time, he would ultimately declare the righteous to be his children. God was technically invisible, but Jewish literature acknowledged that there were senses in which the righteous could see him. So as he talks about the righteous over and over again, this is this is part of that reward. All the righteous had seen a foretaste of God's glory in Exodus, and those influenced by Greek philosophy or some conception of biblical uh, prophetism sought the mystic vision of God in the present. Only in the end time would the righteous fully see God. So these are kingdom blessings appropriate for people who will inherit the kingdom. And these these blessings come by God's intervention. Blessed are the poor in spirit. There's this is this is all in a passive tense and indicative of what's called the divine passage. And and so in each of these blessings God provides the rewards directly. He will comfort them. He will bestow the earth. He will satisfy his people. He will show mercy. He will reveal himself and call the righteous his children. And so you have these rewards that are provided by God for kingdom people. And it also, it also gives um, the characteristics of people in the kingdom. It, it gives us a description of what kingdom-ready people should be like. They're not those who try to force God's will on a world unprepared for it. The, the social conditions in the first century of Palestine inclined many people to suppose that revolutionary violence was appropriate response to the violence that they had experienced. But Jesus promises the kingdom not to those who try to force God's hand in their time. That's, that's, it's important that we hear that. Jesus is not doing this. Jesus um, uh, Jesus doesn't promise the kingdom for those who are trying to force God's hand in their own time, but those who are patient and wait for it humbly. 
you have these these people of peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. God favors the humble. He trusts in him rather than their own strength. And these are people who are not easily provoked to anger. These are the poor in spirit, the meek. And and these terms probably reflect the same uh, Semitic term. uh, And Yenawim, which also in, in, in other writings like Syriac and the Dead Sea Scrolls and other rabbis represents humility. Some of the Greek world praised generosity of leaders as meekness and valued meekness in the sense of gentleness, but the concept of humility often connoted the proper attitude only toward those of inferior rank and status. Judaism, however, highlighted uh, valued humility highly Psalm 72 Proverbs 3 the poor in spirit refers not to those with a a deficit of moral righteousness but of people who are poor They're, they're oppressed they're poor because they're wholly dependent upon God some people some Jewish people use the the title as a positive religious and economic designation. So it's not merely the the materially poor and oppressed, but those who have taken that condition to their very heart by not allowing themselves to be deceived by the attraction of wealth. For Matthew, the kingdom belongs to the powerless of the world, to the oppressed, who embrace the poverty of their condition by trusting in God rather than favors from the powerful for their deliverance. The merciful are those who would not harm others but would show compassion toward their need. These humble people are also those who yearn for God above all else. Verse, verse six, they they hunger physically. They yearn for God's righteousness more than food and drink. Hungering for righteousness, it probably includes yearning for God's justice, for His vindication of the oppressed, and yearning to do God's will. Hungering for God might imply fasting as well, which the Old Testament sometimes conjoined with mourning, including the mourning of repentance. It is, it's a passion for God, longing for Him more than daily food or drink. God and His Word should constitute the ultimate object of every true disciple's longing. 
the the phrase mourners here may refer um, especially to the repentant for those who grieve over people's sins. The 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 term because because of the promise of comfort, the term probably also uh, applies more broadly to those who are broken, who suffer, or have sustained personal grief, and responded humbly. God is near the brokenhearted and will comfort those who mourn. All the people of the kingdom are the humble, not the arrogant. If we look at the, the pure in heart in, in Psalm 73, 1, that refers to those who recognize that God alone is their hope. Because a pure heart before God means a heart of unmixed devotion to God. James can relate purity to being peacemakers, merciful, gentle, and so forth. If you, if you look at James 3, 17 and 18. And so you have um, people who yearn for God above all else. Humble people who trust Him rather than their own strength. Not easily provoked to anger. And then you have the meek. This lifestyle of meekness Jesus teaches not only addresses Jewish revolutionaries, but challenges disciples in their daily lives. If disciples are to walk in love toward their enemies, which Matthew will, or Jesus will hit on in, in verse 43 of chapter 5, how much more toward, their, toward those closest to them? If even sinners and outright pagans love their families and those who love them, disciples must strive to reconcile all conflicts as humbly and lovingly as possible. And then Jesus speaks to those who endure persecution for the gospel. Verses 10 to 12. Jesus' conclusion here specifically addresses his disciples. They are to submit to unjust suffering and hope a future vindication. And while Jesus' contemporaries, they also spoke of persecution for righteousness' sake. Um, Jesus, uh, the, for the 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 phrase for the sake of righteousness parallels persecution on account of me. Jesus's words demand far more than those of his contemporaries. And he also pushes this idea of non-retaliation to its furthest possible length. A disciple not only refuses to strike back, but rejoices when they're persecuted. The persecution itself confirms one's trust in God's promise of the reward because the prophets suffered likewise. The prophets suffered likewise. And Jesus said that They are, in essence, like the prophets, but greater 
than the Old Testament prophet. He summons them to bear the name of Jesus, who is greater than the prophets. And in their suffering, they're suffering for Jesus' name. And so they are to rejoice and be glad because their reward is great in heaven. And so when you, when you think about this text and how, how you might teach it, um, that's kind of how I would break it down, that this is, this is Jesus uh, expressing the, what it, the fulfillment of the law, and he is, he is proclaiming to his, his disciples and those potential disciples, including those of us who read Matthew's text that this is what this is what kingdom life looks like this humility this meekness this um, uh, honor those who yearn and long for God to fill them who are who are hungry physically for the righteousness of God and the presence of God. Those who extend mercy to others and even extend mercy to themselves. For those who seek peace, not just peace um, between uh, two people, but but even, even peace between all creation, between humanity and earth and, and creation who seek that peace, they will be called the children of God. This is what, this is what living in the kingdom looks like. This is the characteristics of people who live in the kingdom. This is the rewards for living in the kingdom. They'll be comforted. They'll be inherit the earth. They'll be filled with the power and presence of God. They will receive mercy if they if it is extended. They they will see God. That is a reward. That's what that's the righteous will will see God. So all those are rewards, but it's there's always also these characteristics, these these requirements: poor in spirit, mourn, meek, hunger and thirst, express and give mercy, seek peace. And if we can conform our lives in that direction and in that way we actually will find ourselves under persecution the disciples would find it the first century christians would 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 find it um up until 350 a.d when constantine 
deemed the Roman Empire to be a Christian empire. People who express these characteristics, who, who lived this way, were persecuted. They hurt. They were outcasts. But they were revolutionaries because in that the world was changed. See, this is revolutionary living. This is, this is living turned upside down. Because most people don't act this way. Most people don't mourn for others. Most people don't... Uh, most people seek power. Most people rely on their own... Um, on their own strength. Most people don't seek mercy. They're selfish. Most people will not endure the persecution. But people who do this create are revolutionaries. They're just peaceful revolutionaries. And they transform a world that is built on the powerful who oppress others. And if we want to see our world transformed, if we want to see our the United States transformed, if we want to see Western Europe transformed, then we live in this way. And we will be rewarded. So think about that as you as you finalize your your text for preaching, as you um, look at your own life and 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 consider it uh, maybe you're just a, a person who who hears this um, consider all of that that you're you're a passive revolutionary bringing change bringing the kingdom of God into a an oppressive world You think about that. Good day.